We're talking about the big game here, so forgive me if I use big terms. Surprise, extra bonus pod. This is why you should be subscribed. We'll get to it in a second, but it dawned on me. I was hitting Fez. You know, it's fun when Fez isn't here. It's easier. So I hit him with a few things I disagreed with from the Wednesday pod, Wednesday taping, Thursday release, and that I wasn't able to be at. So I figure, you know what? That's fair. But it's also what I'm on record as saying is that the very best package of the entire year to me is Fez's props. He is so good at it. I mean, the best I've ever seen. He's got what he's like 28 and six the last three years. You get dozens of props for bonus. It's amazing. So I'm going to throw a little love to Fez. I'm going to regurgitate, or not regurgitate, I'm going to uh, resuscitate the Fez 5 special. Boy, the response on that was massive. So you can get his pod discounted $5. It's such a great deal if you just use F E Z Z 5. Fez 5, you get his pod, or I'm sorry, his props. And like I said, I can only say this once a year, so you know I mean it. The one package I would have, if I could only have one of Fez's this year, would be this prop package each year. His record speaks for itself. I'll speak for it also, like 28 and 6. He's got. He's going to have like over 10 of them that star rated. He's going to have his prop of the year. He's going to have his three three stars. He does it a certain way. And man, it's cha-ching, cha-ching. On to a solo show that I am very happy with. Mackenzie only said like amen three times. And then at one point he starts talking. It was like, man, do I sound good because I am talking. Listen, enjoy. RJ Bell working overtime, baby, Saturday mid-afternoon, doing a late update for you guys. Got pulled away unexpectedly and really beyond my control for the Wednesday taping. My apologies. I hear there were some ideas that Kansas City, there was too much bias for them. Well, I'm going to be making a case, and the purpose of this today is to give you the latest breaking news to get my you know more in-depth take. And I'm not going to try to be comprehensive. But rather, I'm going to try to hint or talk about the areas I think are being under-discussed and maybe even discussed sufficiently, but maybe not emphasized enough. So this is effectively the things that are leading me to bet. And at the end, I'm going to have a bonus, a bonus yet to be released. Haven't uttered it to anyone but Fezzik, prop bet. It may be my favorite one of all of them. I'm probably going to put the most on it. So this should be a nice, uh, less than 40 minutes, and uh, we won't have Fez or AJ or Scott or even McKenzie. His mic's still off, I think, yeah. Well, maybe it's on, but he better not hit it unless it's very important. Yeah, you can laugh if you want. No problem there. All right, let's start. The Eagles, what has been the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs, the roller coaster, but it was a slow-moving roller coaster up and down, and let's kind of track it. And say, what does it say about today's assumption? Because there's a very different assumption about Philadelphia today than there was at various points of the season. Is it warranted the new love to be favored? This is the first time that any team has been favored over Kansas City and Mahomes in any playoff game. So this is, in theory, the best team they're playing or the worst Kansas City team. Now, I don't see it being the worst Kansas City team. So we've got a number of proprietary metrics at pregame.com, but one we've been talking about the most this year is fourth quarter win share. What is that? Well, we look at every snap of the fourth quarter of every game, and we say, what does the NFL predict to be the win percentage chance? With Built into that prediction is the Vegas point spread. It's a pretty you know good prediction. What is the chance of winning throughout the fourth quarter? Because in theory, there can be a late field goal. There can be a pick six. But that's going to be a swing late. But you have times a team has a 58% chance to win in the fourth quarter, but they lose. All right. So does that mean they didn't lose? No, they lost. But it means that it was kind of fluky that they lost. Then if you have a team that's 98% to win or 100%, you know, there was no flukiness to it. So this feels like what I kind of developed this and McKenzie doing a lot of the grind with it was to say this whole one score narrative. Oh, this team was this record in one score games. Well, obviously you can be down by 14, 
30 seconds left, you score a touchdown because you had a four-minute drive, and the other team's just laughing, saying, go ahead, take eight yards a clip. It ends up being a seven-point game, but literally that team had almost a 0% chance to win. So was it really a one-score game? Well, yeah, technically. That's why it's a bad stat. In our numbers, that kind of game would be like 97-3. to Okay, so in these numbers, the fourth-quarter win share, the number one and number two teams in the NFL— Philadelphia won, Kansas City two. Um, Philly had an 82.4% chance to win their games collectively, KC 79.3. So you could say, oh, Philly's a little better. Well, I think over the course of the season, Philly probably did play a little better. The question is, how are they playing now? And then the question of strength of schedule, which has been discussed a lot And I think it's kind of had a backlash, and I think that might not be warranted. I think that the strength of schedule is a valid conversation anti-Philly, though it's not quite about strength of schedule. It's about the type of opposition they've played at quarterback. But we'll get to that. First, though, let's go back to like August 1. August 1, right? Training camps have started. Preseason's right around the corner, if not already there. Hall of Fame game. The Eagles were 27-1 to to win the title, to win the Super Bowl. That was the 13th best odds. Now, 16th is average, so they were a little bit above average, 27 to 1. Just to compare with some like-minded comps or like comps, Dallas, or check that, the Colts were 24 to 1. All right? Now, we could say the Colts got a lot worse. Yeah, that's the whole point. These teams started at pretty much the same esteem they were being held in. Colts went drastically one way. And Philly went drastically the other. Now, does that invalidate what Philly's done? No. But you can't forget the assumptions, the priors, as they're called, of the preseason. Because 16 or 17 games plus a couple playoff games isn't enough to completely invalidate them. Because under that theory, we would say, well, the Colts next year should be one of the worst teams. I don't think people think that's going to be the case. I think that whatever people thought of the Colts, they downgraded them throughout the year. Now, we're going to assume in the offseason based upon their moves, but let's just say they're very neutral in their moves. New coach, oh, they're better in Saturday. There's going to be all these factors. But in general, teams don't go in preseason esteem from drastically high to drastically low, though the results may be drastic, and that's because of the variation or the variance, might be the way to say it, of the season. The ball isn't round. So my general point about football is, that whatever we think in the preseason, for some people, they week 12, week 13, they're still counting their priors. And I'm not sure that, I think that's probably right. Not saying 100%, don't ignore what's happened. But in general, you look at the Minnesotas of the world and you say, okay, what was their record? Oh, they only had three losses coming in the playoffs. Now, does that mean, what was Minnesota supposed to be? Slightly above 500. Well, where was Minnesota ranked in the power rankings I respect? Pretty much where they were expected to be in the preseason, forgetting the results of those games. Now, do we forget them? We do if they feel fluky, if the underlying stats aren't good. Now, Philly stats underlying are good. So I don't think they're like a Minnesota at all. But I think that you can't forget that the assumption coming in the year was a slightly better than average team who was worse than Dallas at least odds-wise, had bigger odds all the way up to like the week of the kickoff week. So they just just nudged up and said, equal to Dallas at the end. All right. The season starts, and Philadelphia is playing about as well as you can imagine. And I get, I've been an advocate of Philly. If you listen regularly, you know that. Me and Fez have been going at it. He's like, I got Philly sixth. And I'm like, eh, I don't know. I think there should be second. I like what they did early in the year, a lot. Now, just to show you how they didn't have a ton of love, week two, Monday night, they're playing Minnesota. Line opens up like two and a half, two, and they're at home, and it closes three. Okay, but slightly better than Minnesota, a team we could say is a three-loss team in the regular season, or we could say a team that, what do we got them at, 19th, I think? Or wait, that was the Giants at 19th. What what do we got uh, Minnesota at here? 
Minnesota. Oh, they're actually a little higher than you think in our numbers. What do you see? Uh, well, wind share, well, I'm not as worried about wind share. I'm, what about our uh, power rating aggregation? Pull, pulling that up right now. I just pulled up their Super Bowl as they were 16th favorite on August 1st. Okay. So that kind of makes sense, right? They're 16th favorite on August 1. Philly was 13th. So Minnesota 16th, Philly 13th. They play in week two. And lo and behold, Philly's a little bit better based upon the number coming in the game. And our four metric power rating had them 20th. All right. So that, now listen, a lot of Minnesota fans, when you hit the mic on, are you hitting it on purpose to like, are you doing like a, any type of Morse code or anything? No, not, not on purpose. Just, yeah. Okay. Thanks. Turn that off. So (laughs) not a great team. And we saw end of the year, they weren't a great team. All right. And if the market thought Philly was a lot better, you know what? They wouldn't have been a three point favorite at home. Right. They dominate that game, and all the way through their loss in Washington or against Washington in Week Ten, they were dominant. The fourth quarter win share of Philadelphia up to that point was ninety-five percent. Number two was at eighty. The second best team, Baltimore at the time, was at eighty, and there were six teams between eighty and sixty-five. So think about it: ninety-five to eighty is fifteen percentage points. So between one and two, Philly and Baltimore. Now you take that same 15 and go, well, 80 to 65, there were six teams in there. So this wasn't just number one for Philly. This was number one with a bullet and big lead, right? Secretariat at the Belmont kind of thing. Everything changes at that point. This is what we'll call, and if we had the music for behind the music, this is like when the parents come to the show at the Madison Square Garden and everything looks good. And then you hear the kind of the, the voice and it says, but then the trouble began. Well, it did against Washington. They were pretty much dominated. They, they weren't competitive. or They were competitive. Let's just say there was no sense that they were going to win that game. All right? I, 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 I don't know, second quarter, third quarter. But at the end, I know what I had. I had Philly in that game. And I know that they, I didn't feel like they were going to win. I wasn't going to be happy even if I had the money line. And they were laying doubles. Now, what happened? Was it just a bad game? Was it a team at rest on their laurels? Well, a lot of talk was, oh, no, Washington's figured a few things out. This run game, which is quirky, and let's not forget, when you have a quirky team, they tend to have a shelf life, at least with the edge that they have because of the quirkiness. doesn't mean they don't have good players. It means that whatever that end result is, the quirkiness is a chunk of it, and that tends to dissipate, diminish over time. The NFL is not for dummies. And Washington maybe cracked the code. Well, you know what tells us maybe that happened? Was the next week against the Colts, Philly late in that game, were losing. This is against Jeff Saturday and the Colts. They were losing, and then they pulled it out. He was up up in the fans like Randy Macho Man Savage in the crowd, like <laughs> high-fiving. It was a big win, I guess, for them, beating the Colts. Okay, so okay, it's an NFL game. It's a win. Now, the rest of the year... I would make the case that there's been very little that's been impressive. Um, and just doubling back for a minute and looking at how much esteem Philly was held in in that behind the music moment at Madison Square Garden, they were the second favorite at plus 475. So in the entire NFL, it was like this undefeated team before the Washington game, second favorite to win the Super Bowl. You think, ah, that sounds about right. They weren't great, or their expectations were modest, but they've proved it. 95% win share, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I agree. All right. So they were held in high esteem. Washington happens. Colts happen. And then the rest of the way, we can say, uh. Right? Jalen Hurts got hurt, so now we're going to dismiss those games in a way. Don't worry about Dallas beating them that time. Ah, that's fine. It was only six. Don't worry about it. And I think it culminated with having a must-win game to keep the number one seed in the bye against a Giants team that, to my chagrin, sat their starters, and somehow the second and third string were good enough to keep it and make it a competitive game and keep it very close. Well, let's just say keep it close at the end. The Giants covered easily. Philly barely wins. But you could say, hey, they did what they needed to do. Hurts was still injured. He's got two weeks off now, et cetera, et cetera. Then they crush the Giants in the playoffs. Oh, yeah, look how good this Philly team is. Rolling like we expected. Okay. I mean, how good are the Giants? Below average. I mean, I don't care what you say. 
every statistic says below average. Now they had Dayball did a great job. He just won Coach of the Year. I was looking to bet them in different spots. I didn't bet them in that spot. But in general, I think that sometimes the underlying stats don't tell the whole story of the momentum of a team. But looking at that game, Philly dominated. And they do mighty well against average teams. They dominated Minnesota. They dominated the Giants, two of the most overrated teams, if not the two overrated teams of the year. And it's like, well, why would that team do that against those type of teams? Why would Philly do that? Well, think of Nebraska, Osborne. When you have a physical advantage at the line of scrimmage and you're one of the best, if not the best, offensive lines, defensive lines, nothing else really matters. I can remember the Houston-Miami of Florida game when Houston was running shooting and it just had started. Andre Ware, and it was like, what's going on? Is this the new age of football? And then they play Miami. I think Jimmy Johnson was still there. And it was like they rushed three the whole game and we're still getting to the quarterback. It was just that there was a different game at the line. It's not like that in the NFL, that extreme, but it's generally directionally like that. And Philly does amazingly well with the lead. And Philly does amazingly well against mediocre teams or worse if they're motivated. And they've been motivated most of the year. Okay. But, and I think the Giants win. You got to give them credit. But does it convince us they can play a really good team? Or does it convince us that they or can play a really good team and beat them? Beat them easily? Should be favored over Kansas City? That's the question we're examining with Philadelphia. Now, the San Francisco game, I, I don't know how to say it other than they played without a quarterback most of the game. A fourth stringer, you know, a third stringer for some of it, but Purdy was accepted as the best of the quarterbacks. Let's say that's true, and I think it probably was. He played what three passes or whatever, and after before injury, yeah, one drive, yeah. So, all right, Mackenzie, we got your love of San Francisco. Don't make me turn the mic <laughs> all the way off. But, but the fact of the matter is, this was a game that if just think of what, what the spread would be coming into the game if you knew that. Purdy were going to, that McCaffrey was going to be taking snaps at quarterback, and we knew Purdy couldn't throw the ball more than five yards. Let's just say that was known. What would the line have been? Eh, over a touchdown for sure. Maybe, who knows, 10 more? Okay. I think it probably would have been over 10 if you really think about it. We've only seen two games in memory where there wasn't a professional quarterback for a major part of the game, and that was that COVID game with Denver. Remember, they were mad supposedly at Denver and they let it go without them even having a quarterback. And the Saints dominated that game. And this game, the, both those games look very similar. You don't let professional teams know they're not going to pass and think they're going to be able to put goal line defenses in. You're going to do much. You're just not. Right? Now, Philly didn't do a ton on offense. You might say, well, they didn't need to. Low variance. That Saints game was the same thing against Denver. You're right. Maybe. But here's what we objectively know. Hertz far exceeded expectations, far exceeded up to his injury. I think he was on pace to a potential MVP. All right. And since then, he's played three games. And in those three games, his QBR, is it? We were looking at McKenzie? Look at his PFF grade. Oh. His PFF, check his QBRs in those games too. Yep. His PFF grade in those three games were three of his four worst of the year. So you say, what was his four worst PFF grades? You'd just say his last three and Washington, but not even the Washington they lost, but like week three or four. Okay. So is that a coincidence? Do you trust PFF? I think that the fact that every NFL team is subscribed to them at a like enterprise level means there's something there. It doesn't mean that's gospel. But there's something there. And three of his four worst games were the last three. Okay. So now the question becomes, well, why? Well, let me think. He's off an injury. Or maybe it's the league's catching up to the scheme. I don't know. Because if you can run really well, it's easier to pass. If you can't run as well, it's harder to pass. We know the eye test tells us he missed some passes. More than usual in those games. So I'm going to say there's a big question mark. With Hurts. Now, there's two weeks. Maybe he's gotten better. But supposedly that injury, I don't know. I just say that it's fair to say there's a question mark on Philly. It's fair to say that since that Washington game, they have not played particularly well, especially compared to how they played before it. 
But if you looked at the odds entering the division round, so this is when Philly benefited from the bye. They didn't have to play the first week of the playoffs. And then the next game, right before that game, so there's eight teams left, Philly's odds were plus 485. Now, wait a minute. They were the fourth favorite of eight teams. The fourth favorite of eight teams. Though before week 10, they were the second favorite at plus 475. You got better odds, a bigger payout, playing Philly with eight teams left and the home field advantage than you did when they were undefeated, but less than halfway or right around halfway through the season. How could that be? There's, there were generally at that point, everyone acknowledged before these two games they played in the playoffs, everyone acknowledged this team had big question marks, big. And what happened? They dominate a below average Giants team and beat a team without a quarterback. And now the team is better than Kansas City and Mahomes. That is the crux of my argument for Kansas City. This adjustment, whatever the line would be, or would have been before the division round, if, if they said, no, by fiat, we're dictating Philly goes to the Super Bowl, Kansas City, you guys are playing in two weeks, forget these other games, go. At the time of that assumption, Philly would have been an underdog. Well, let's say it's a neutral game. I think Kansas City might have been three at that spot. And what's happened since? Well, Kansas City's the underdog. And would you say that Cincy game was a big, I mean, that Jacksonville game wasn't a big disappointment. I mean, obviously, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, why am I saying Mick Holmes? <laughs> why am I thinking Mick Holmes? Patrick Mahomes was, <laughs> is he Irish? Is <laughs> No, I don't think so. No. Is, was hurt, you know, sat out of well, one drive, but a full quarter of that game. And he was hurt, obviously, against Cincinnati. And they still, let's be honest, I don't think you downgrade the KC off those games. Now, you might say, well, if Mick Holmes <laughs> is still hurt, maybe you do. Okay, I believe those injuries are at minimum a wash, where I think that with the ankle, quote-unquote high ankle sprain, I don't think it quite was probably, I think that's a situation where it inevitably is getting better as time passes unless he retweaks it. That shoulder feels like one with a, a, a healing time long enough that maybe there isn't a big jump in these two weeks of quality of his shoulder, of health of his shoulder, of hurts. But I don't know, maybe not. I'm going to call those two a, a wash. I think there's some serious people that think the Philly health concerns of quarterback are bigger than KC. I'm going to call it a wash. But even so, it doesn't make sense that two games ago, Philly was the fourth favorite, and now they're the best team in the NFL because of games that I'm not sure how playoff-oriented they really, really are. And we can talk strength of schedule in general, but, and we will, and I think that a chunk of it has to do with these last two. You know, I'm going to jump to that conversation right now, actually. Because I think if you're a Philly backer, you're thinking, yeah, but why are we dismissing these guys? They, they, you know, they're leading by uh, or they're favored by, even let's say they were supposed to be 10. The Saints were favored by 16 when they played Denver without a quarterback. Let's say it was 16. Well, they still exceeded expectations. Okay, I agree. But here's the thing about strength of schedule. It, it's supposed to adjust by X number of points. And if you have the worst team in the league, uh, strength of schedule-wise, or the weakest versus the strongest, in general, that's about three points. So you could say upgrade one team by one and a half, downgrade by one and a half. It's a three-point net adjustment. Well, Denver's been, or check that, uh, Philly's been exceeding expectations by so much in the playoffs, those little three-point adjustments wouldn't matter. I agree. I think those were impressive performances. But they didn't answer the key question, which is how does Philly play against an elite quarterback or even a top seven or eight quarterback? Now, there's subjectivity to who's top five, seven, eight, whatever. But let's just look at the clearly best quarterbacks that Philly has played. And I could make the case it's Dak Prescott and Aaron Rodgers were clearly the two best. All right? Dak, they played one game. They gave up 40 points. Aaron Rodgers, they played one game. They gave up 33. And Aaron Rodgers missed an entire quarter of the game with injury. Not not great, not great. The best offense they played without a really good quarterback, 
and you could debate Jared Goff, was Detroit. They gave up 35. Now, some of those were late, so I'm fine with that. But two elite quarterbacks. Now, who's the best quarterback not listed? Kirk Cousins. So if you think he's elite, I don't know. I, I think Cousins is better than people think. I don't think he's elite. But when there's two elite quarterbacks and they give up 40 and 33, I would make the case it's not about a spectrum of strength of schedule. It's about a whole category of team they've yet to play and and succeed against defensively. And I think Kansas City certainly belongs, Mahomes belongs at the head of every table of quarterbacks right now. So the best quarterback in the NFL with Andy Reid with two weeks to prepare is different than Kirk Cousins. Now, is it different than Dak Prescott? Yeah, it's better. But you know what? They gave up 40 in that game. Is it different than Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, this year it's better. Well, they gave up 33 in three quarters with a backup after. Did he miss the whole last quarter or was there a quarter then he came back? I can't remember. He missed the whole last quarter. Okay. Yeah. The, yeah. So Philly looked great in that game. We're not even questioning their defense. We're talking – Oh, I'm sorry. We're not even questioning the team generally. We're saying against elite quarterbacks, they're not very good. At least there's a question mark. I would say if they didn't play any elite quarterbacks, you could say there's a big question mark. The fact they have and they've looked bad means there's a bigger question mark. There's evidence to the contrary. Now, is it enough to know for sure? No, but it certainly isn't encouraging. There's nothing to say that against an elite quarterback, the Eagles are encouraging. And there's no way to say the Eagles have played near as well in the second half of the year as the first. But somehow their odds... In fact, everyone knew that. The market knew that up until the last two games. And these two games have completely dictated the perception of Philly in a way that I don't think really has much to do with playing Kansas City. I don't think Mr. Daniel Jones and the Giants have a lot in common with Kansas City. And a quarterbackless San Francisco team doesn't have a lot to do with Kansas City, except maybe the defense. Well, San Francisco's defense is better than Kansas City, but again, Hurts, three of his four worst games have been the last three. So you've got an injured quarterback, a team that isn't quite as good as they were, if not more, but they're priced the highest point of the season. That's why there's value on Kansas City. Okay, let's continue. And we're going to talk a little bit about game scenarios. How does this game get played? And I think there's three scenarios really in any game. Now, we can question how likely each is, but those three is it's a close game. One team's winning by a little, other team's winning by a little. Maybe they're tied, but it's close. All right? Also known, you could say, a neutral game state. Then you've got one team winning big or the other team winning big. So I think we can imagine this game being close, no doubt about it. Now, what happens if it's not? So if Philly has a big lead and Kansas City must pass from behind, all right? I think that we're all comfortable there. It's hard to say, I don't know, if Mahomes gets behind, I think it's over. I mean, you all know the stat, I'm sure. They had three straight games when they won the Super Bowl not that long ago in which they trailed by double digits, and they won each of the games by double digits. There's a lot of in-game batters. I, I don't like these people a lot, to be honest, that say, I'll tell you, the best bet there is in the entire NFL is when Mahomes is behind. Bet the over and the Chiefs. All right. It's not that easy, I think, or maybe it is. I don't know. But I think it's hard to say it's the opposite. I think they're generally correct that Mahomes behind is a viable. No, I'd rather them, if I bet Kansas City and I have, I'd rather them be up. But if they're behind, it's not like, oh, my God, it's over. But let's look at if Philly gets behind. This is a team that's controlled. They've been in the lead in the fourth quarter more than any team. They've controlled a lot of games. And let's think of the games they were behind, specifically that Washington game. You know, it was before the injury. Didn't look all that good trying to come back. But we drilled down because it really is when you're behind. It's about must pass situations. There's no doubt you've got to pass. Go execute third and 10. So we thought, let's look at third and 10 or third and long, third and 10 plus. Okay. So 10 or more than 10. Each quarterback perfectly like the god said this is a great stat rj use it 34 times they drop back to pass 34 times in which it was third and 10 or more 
And the question is how many first downs were gained. Of the 34 times, 15 times Mahomes had a passing first down, twice a running first down. So 17 of 34. It's exactly half. 17 of 34. First downs if it was third and 10 or more. The number is 8 of 34 for Hertz. Six times passing, only two times running. You can't really run if it's third and 12 or third and 10. You can, but it doesn't work a lot. So is that the end? Oh, it's over. Start the podcast. No. But man, I think in the various game scenarios, there's two that I'm comfortable with, though I prefer the close game. Well, I guess I prefer, I'm, I'm comfortable with all of them, might be the way to say it. If I'm back in Philly, which I'm not, I'm not sure how you can be comfortable with Philly behind big when effectively he's converted less than half as many times on third and long in the same number of opportunities. And again, at 17 out of 34 for KC, and or specifically Mahomes, some call him Mick Holmes, <laughs> and eight of 34 for Hertz. I think that matters. What do you think, McKenzie? You agree with that? I think Mahomes has proven consistently the best in the league in those opportunities. I think Jalen Hurts is a question mark. We don't know. I mean, he's gotten a lot better than last year, but he hasn't proven it in this specific category. Yeah, a lot better than last year on that stat? I'm not sure. Like, what areas has he gotten better? Because I would make the case that what Philly has done wonderfully, wonderfully, is create a situation where you either got to try to gang up to stop the run or... We're gonna. If you do gang up to start the run, we're gonna take shots downfield, and we got the dudes that can, or AJ Brown specifically, that can grab the ball on a 50-50 jump ball. Like you don't want to be man to man with him, so you either are gonna have to put enough people two on him and give us an advantage in the box because we have the math with Hertz running. Right, that that's really the season for Philly on offense. They're saying pick your poison. You can let. A.J. Brown be one-on-one. I'm just going to keep chucking it up. The Steelers did this in a way. Keep chucking it up, and he's going to get most of those balls. And you know what? He has. Great year from him. Or you guard him. You double him. Worry about Smith, too, a little bit. Maybe his zone, whatever. But now, because I can run, as Lombardi calls it, a six-back attack, the quarterback can run. Now it's going to be hard with those deficient numbers to stop the run. Oh, look, we just ran a bunch. Bring it in. Okay, go ball time. Oh, you caught it. Now you guys, we're going to run again. It's like pick your poison, and it's been impressive. But if they're down, that's a problem. Let's just assume for the sake of argument that they have a competitive offense if they're up or it's an even game, meaning as maybe almost as good as Kansas City. All right, that's fine. But how? what percentage of the time is it going to be a couple bounces of the ball and they're behind, and how does that change things? That, to me is the point I'm making on this one. Um, One more pro KC thing, and then I want to talk about a few anti-KC things because I think in any game, there's going to be angles on both sides uh, or handicapping approaches that are valid on both sides. Okay, how good is the Kansas City defense? Now, one thing that people make a point of, and Mackenzie, put up uh, the D numbers on the, the look back view you have there for them is Spags, as I call him, just to avoid mispronunciations, is known that he makes big changes during the off week, during the bye. And not, I'm not saying for the Super Bowl, though, again, he's done pretty well. I think he was involved in those Giants teams that, <laughs> that have a few Super Bowl rings. Uh, was he on both those teams? Can you uh, look at that. Staff-wise? Uh, I know he was one. Is he's known for a big game planner? Give him the time, give him the game. He's going to do something different. But he also does that during the bye week. And if you actually look at this defense since the bye week, and what do we got here, Mackenzie? I don't see the top of it. Is it the uh, so it's the offense and the D's on the right? Thank you. Okay, so they've actually played significantly better on defense after the bye. And I would make the case they have so many young players on that defense that the trend line is going to generally look better with young players. Old players get tired, get banged up. Young players get better. They get more experience. But in general, I would say of all four units, clearly the worst unit is the Kansas City defense. But just as clearly, the most underrated unit is the Kansas City defense. I think it's fair to say this is maybe the 10th best defense right now. 
And I think if you look at it on the season, you're going to say 15th, 16th. And to me, one of the value points of the season is going to be, or, or one of the value points of the entire Super Bowl is, is Kansas City's D better, as good as they've been since the bye, and better than their season stats? And if you look at just EPA, um, and you you look at, so if we just look at EPA after the bye week, no other, you know, no other qualifiers. Is this 496? Uh, no, I'll do that now. Yeah. If we get rid of the, right now they're 11th in all snaps. I, I just guessed 10th. So, I mean, I like this. I'm hoping it's 9th after we get rid of the junk plays. 10th. All right. Oh, okay. I'll take that even. Exactly right. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hard to complain. But anyway, the point is, if you look on the season and maybe just click that, is I'm guessing it's 15th, 16th, 17th. I'm going to go wide so I seem like I'm exactly right again. But um, that difference, I think, is valid. Now, you can say if you only have one season, RJ, you said priors matter even. Why don't we look at the whole season? You do. You look at both. They're actually ninth on the season by 96-4 split EPA. Really? Okay. Well, that's interesting because what we're seeing here on we look at the game by game, that doesn't seem to be the case. But you know something? One of the things since – yeah, this is interesting. The Denver-Houston games that came after the bye were actually disastrous. And remember, that Denver game, the first Denver game, they were up – well, they actually had trouble in both the Denver games. That's interesting. But remember, KC was up like 21 nothing in that game. And again, we can go through and, and, and nitpick everything. But I guess, what, meaning I don't want to be Fez, because again, I love Fez, but I think whenever something goes against him, he always got a story about it. I try to avoid that. But I would make the case in general that Kansas City's D is better than people think. And I think they've been playing better lately. And if you just look at the playoffs, both games were positive and how would we explain this? Is this is this simply positive versus EPA? Vegas expectation? Oh, the, okay, yeah. So if you think about any spread and any total, there's going to be a projected score imputed from it, right? If it's twenty four, let's say the lines minus four, totals forty four. It's supposed to be favored team twenty four, underdog team twenty, right? And based upon that, we see, hey, they've given up far less points than they were expected to against Seattle late. They had a tough game against Denver, far less points against the Raiders, then less points against Jacksonville and less points against Cincy by a smidge, but still exceeding expectation. Um, The Chiefs EPA on defense since week 16. Now that's cherry picking, no doubt. But since week 16, so it would be the Raiders game, the Jacksonville game, the Cincy game, fourth in the NFL. Okay. So, again, most of those teams that didn't make the playoffs only have one game in that mix. But still, this team is playing better on D, and I think that's noteworthy. Kansas City, better on D. That's noteworthy. Okay, so we got another pro, and I think this is a big negative to Kansas City, so pro Philly. And we already talked about how, yeah, strength of schedule has probably been overblown, but thus Philly's not getting the credit they deserve because everyone's saying strength of schedule. Well, Kansas City's schedule was right there, not that much better or harder by a smidge. I've seen one that was 32-31. So it's like, how can we really talk strength of schedule for one and not the other? I think that's valid, though. I, meaning Philly's been given a bum deal in that regard. But I also think, again, the idea of a type, a category of opposition is different than the spectrum of strength of schedule. And a good quarterback category, they've underperformed, no doubt. But here is something that is really underperforming with Kansas City. Mike Lombardi talks a lot about, friend of the show, on third and one, fourth and one, third and two, fourth and two, you convert and you got a new set of downs and you have a chance to run out the clock do something good in the middle eight, whatever, right? It's a key part of the game. It's third and one. You either make it or you don't. Kansas City is the worst team in the league in that situation. Third and short, they suck. Philly, probably the best team. If you add in their, you know, whatever they call that, push the guy, it's legal now. It's almost a short thing. So if Philly wins this game, I would not be surprised if one or two failures of Kansas City on third and fourth and short doesn't drive it. And if I could, as a KC backer in this game, if I could say, give me one small area of the game that maybe you're 
worried about that will assure you is going to go fine for your team, it would certainly be short yardage for Kansas City because it just takes one of those to go bad that can swing an entire game, especially if it ends up being a close one. So look out for that. I mentioned A.J. Brown versus Devontae Smith. Prop-wise, remember, I'm going to have a prop best bet coming up. Prop-wise, I like under A.J. Brown, and this is an opinion, and I like over Smith. My rationale being that Kansas City and Spags tend to shut down the number one receiver, even if it takes too much of a commitment, a la Belichick. And Brown has been shut down in these playoffs. Whatever you want to say about his season, it's been great when the teams have come in San Francisco, a good D. Giants, at least scheming-wise, a good D. And if you look at Brown's numbers, McKenzie, you can pull up his yardage. I think We're talking under 40, I think, in both games. Um, I think there will be a lot of short catches from Smith. And because, you know, I, I think the question is, can Philly run enough to get Spags out of, you know, the too high, the safer kind of ways he likes to play D? But if they can, then who knows? There might be a go ball for him. But in general, if I had to go over one and under one, it'd be under Brown, over Smith a lot. And I would go over Smith receptions, not yardage. I think there'd be a lot of short ones. And against the 49ers, 28 yards. Against the Giants, 22 yards. So if you combine, there's 50. Before that, here's been the yardage for Brown. 95, 97, 103, 181, 70, 119. Right, it's been a great run. Not so much lately. Is it the defensive scheme? Is he injured? I don't know. Under Brown over Smith would be my opinions in that regard. Another opinion when it comes to props is you're hearing a lot about, and he's a, a maybe the best player on the defense, Redick from Philly. Well, one of the things that Andy Reid does in these bye weeks, especially, but always, he says, I'm not going to let your best defender, especially if he's a rush defender, as in you know rushing the quarterback, I'm not going to let him beat me. And he does a lot of little things. And one of them they talked about on the uh, athletic football podcast is they'll go double tights. I guess 13 personnel, double tights on one side and extending out the angle to the quarterback. If you're playing the rush end and then there's an extra, you know, let's say it's a blind or a uh, no tight end. Okay. There's going to be a certain, you know, Pythagorean angle to the quarterback. And then the, you add a tight end, you add another tight end. Okay, so that's interesting, right? I'm not an X's and O's guy, but I consume it, I think, and understand it from what they say, and I can regurgitate it pretty well, or at least, you know, I think get the concepts generally right. It does feel like that I'm not as anxious to play Reddick to have a big game. You know, Super Bowl propsies, kind of like, or MVP propsies, like, oh, he might be the defensive guy. I'd be inclined to put a third of a bet on three other defenders. So who, who do we got that would be competitive with him on defense, McKenzie? Why don't you read those? Uh, looking at the sack props here, uh, he's at over two and a, over 0.25 minus 180. <laughs> Boy, I tell you, I love you talking because I sound so good <laughs> at this. Go ahead, <laughs> continue. So he's the he's the highest favorite to uh, to get a sack. Chris Jones similarly over quarter sack minus 135. Reddick over a quarter sack minus 180. So now you're just going to enjoy. The dosed tones of RJ the rest of the time. Thank you. So anyway, I would be careful with thinking a lot of production out of Redick. Now, listen, one of the things we get feedback on, and I would say more than any other, is I hear, well, RJ doesn't let him get away with crap. He's an asshole sometimes, but if he disagrees with Fez, he disagrees with Fez. And when everyone's just golf clapping the other one, I can't trust it. Well, you know what? I think that's very shrewd, actually. And I think Fez is maybe barking up the wrong tree when he had his Buckner field goal kicker from Kansas City. I think that I, I still like the logic behind it. So his bet was longest field goal goes to KC. Now, I happen to have a similar bet, though different, which was short or uh, shortest field goal goes to KC. Now, what drives those two bets? Well, when I did, and I, that was given out uh, in abstentia on the Thursday pod of, from me, but my rationale was pretty simple. Andy Reid has a profile. There's certain things about Andy Reid. And one of them is he's old school when it comes to game management. Philly won a Super Bowl with a different coach because they were so aggressive 
on this, at the time, cutting-edge ideas of going forward on fourth, et cetera, not kicking field goals. Well, I would say that's continued in Philly to the point where Sirianni's right at the top of the you know, love list of the of the basement dwellers, right? The ones <laughs> that, I mean, everyone that enjoys analytics or even works with it is not a basement dweller, but all basement dwellers <laughs> enjoy <laughs> analytics. Because otherwise, why are you into it? You're not like, I guess it could be homoerotic or something. Like you're in the basement loving like Tom Brady's profile or something. But, you know, just like I might watch the cheerleaders or whatever, and, and probably not these days. That's probably more, you know, hardcore porn. But still, <laughs> I mean, the stuff we can all agree with, it's still hardcore. But the fact of the matter is <laughs> that the basement dwellers do love, love, love Sirianni. And rightfully so, when it comes to aggression, he's an aggressive Coach, Andy Reid isn't, right? And compared, he's very much not. And to Sirianni compared. So can we see Andy Reid on a third and one from the 11 or from the nine kick, or fourth and one kicking a field goal? Yeah. Can we see Sirianni? No. So the quality of the kicker is almost incidental to me. It's going to be how many opportunities. If I could bet how many opportunities – Will there be for 30-yard or less field goal? Let's say uh, extra point or less. I would love Kansas City. Love them. I think it's very logical. And, you know, what money line did you guys use for that bet? Uh, minus 114, uh, shortest field goal. Okay. So just above a, a coin flip, kind of minus 110. All right. So I love that. I still do. But I question Buckner as a kicker. All right. Now, Prior to this season, and here's the thing, he missed four games early in the year because he was injured, four games. So he's come back. The whispers I hear is he's not 100%. The whole year, he's just not 100%. Well, give us the, show the receipts, okay? This season, right, and his, uh, his field goal kicking was at 75%. Is that right? What's the exact numbers there? 24 attempts, 18 makes. All right. So that's six misses, six is 25% of 24. That sounds right. 75%. Five prior seasons, he's kicked in the NFL. His worst season was 88.9. So 11 percentage points down from perfection has been his career up to this point, or not even his career, his worst year. And then this year is 13 points worse than that at 75. And even 14, if we want to say 89, 88.9. So in general, he's had a... Much less impressive season. It could be a fluke. You know what? Even if it is, it's still a problem, right? Even if it's just a, he's missing. Well, maybe it's in his head. Look at 50-plus yarders because Fez's pick is on the longest field goal to be KC. Okay. Well, prior to this year, 20 of 28. 20 makes, 8 misses, 20 of 28 on 50-plus yard field goals for Buckner. This year, he's less than 50%, 3 and 7, 3 out of 7. So, again, I think on one hand, Kansas City will have more field goal attempts. But I so much like the idea of a the field goal kicker doesn't really matter kind of decision. Thus, because it's so short, it doesn't matter in giving him the opportunity to make it. Doesn't matter if he makes it or not, because it's so short relatively. Okay, versus, okay, now we got to decide do we kick the 53-yarder. And I think we saw there was a situation in that championship game, right? What was it? It was, uh, oh, it would have been, they passed up on a, who was, it was, uh, oh, the Chiefs did possession before they uh, got the ball at the end. Yeah, they, they punted on like a 58 or. Yeah, they, well, no, it was like 53. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Take a look at that. I think it was like a 53 yarder, it would have been. And they punted, and it was considered the, it was considered the most gutless and i hate that word and it's like oh yeah okay you're brave if you go kick a field goal but you know consider the most egregiously passed on opportunity to not punt would have been a 53 yard field goal 53 yard or he said no thank you i'm punting giving it to joe burrow so i don't love the idea of him having to kick the longest field goal because i don't know if he buckner gets the opportunity and i don't know if he's able to do it he's less than 50 percent of the year obviously if it's a 30-yard field goal, a 22-yard field goal, I think Andy Reid's propensity goes way up. But I also think 
the likelihood of making it, it becomes almost irrelevant how good the kicker is. Because we're not talking about he shouldn't be in the league. We're talking about he's gone from an elite guy to a slightly below average guy this year. Now, he is 5 for 5, Buckner in the playoffs. So maybe he's finally healing. And that would make me look even had be happy with that because I didn't bet against it for the longest. I'm saying between the choices, the shortest, I think, has much, much more appeal, which is another way of saying RJ's better than Fezzik. Before my best bet, the new one, I'm going to recap why I like the other two plays that were made. Uh, again, in absentia. <laughs> Don't get often get a chance to use that one. Um it was, I still remember my best buddy, George, his, uh, his older brother, who was, you know, older by like, I think six years, seven years. Uh, no, more than that, actually, like eight or nine years. And, you know, when we were like 14 or whatever, he, he actually was drafted in the NFL as a kicker. And he was a straight on kicker. And, uh, you know, he never, he kicked in the USFL, never made the league. But uh, he was the 200th pick in the draft, I think, in 83 which Brady was 199. So I guess, you know, I guess it's possible it could have been a great career. But again, you get a guy that's drafted, like I played college football, you're a kid. It's like, you know, you're going to look up to him. And at one point he said, I still remember, he said, uh, yeah, they wanted to give me an award up at Capitol. He went to Capitol University in Columbus. He goes, I accepted it in abstentia. (laughs) I guess I logged in that word. But the two two other... (laughs) props I had was one was Andy Reid calling the first timeout. And this one's just, I mean, to me, this is what the props are for, right? Mathematically, it's such a sweet play. And Mackenzie, you can get me what the lay price was that we used. Um, But this season, Andy Reid, all except for three times, called the first timeout of the game, right? So that would be 19 games, 16 times yes, he just isn't afraid to burn a timeout in the first half. He's comfortable with that. You know what? I tend to agree with him. I mean, first half, yeah, you might get the ball having to score late in the, in the second quarter, but it's just not near as important. So if it's a close call, you call it. Super Bowl is going to incline you to that even more, no doubt about it. And it's been less than half the time that Philadelphia has called the first time out of the game. So you got one, it's all but three, one less than half, and I laid 105. That's the definition of a good bet. It could lose. It could easily lose. But it's not going to lose more than 50% of the time if we had infinite lifetimes to play it, which unfortunately we don't. Now, next game or next pick, and this is 3 of 3 I gave out earlier, and then we got our jumbo baby coming up, is, and this is me being contrarian, and I should warn you guys, I'm stubborn. I hate, hate, hate people talking the party line that they don't even understand fully. And I admit, I don't understand the X's and O's, and I'm saying I'm regurgitating it from people I trust. Well, they're not saying that. But all this love of under in the first quarter, yeah, it's historically hit drastically high, and it makes a ton of sense. I've bet it multiple times. But how do trends die? How do they become unprofitable? It's real simple. It's when the marketplace starts to acknowledge the existence of the trend and they bet accordingly and the line keeps moving. The NBA zigzagging the playoffs is exactly that. Is all of a sudden now in the first half, first quarter, you got teams that are getting three points laying two. And they, you know, it's like, all right, first half, it's going to be minus two, second half plus five. It's like, what? And they finally found the equilibrium point where it evens out. So I think right now, if you play four against a zigzag blind, you're making a mistake. Well, this is one where it got so much conversation. And part of it was Brady hadn't scored a touchdown in the first quarter in all those games. So Belichick doesn't want to lose the game early. Well, it's worked out pretty well. It's led to close games, but they won a lot of those. I'm not sure it's as prominent with the non-Brady quarterbacks and non-Belichick coaches, but I know for sure that Andy Reid has a great 15-play script. And I also know that Philly starts hot. Now, they usually start hotter in the – or not start, but the second quarter is their best quarter. But the first half has been great for Philly, though not as good later in the year because, again, it became a conversation topic. The line started adjusting. So getting nine and a half with a total right now – what's our current number, McKenzie? 51. 
Yeah. Well, remember, 51 is a key number. So if you like the under, you're much more inclined to go under 51. If you like the over, you're, uh, you know, obviously 51 and a half is better and 50 and a half better. It, the most important number in this range is 51. So note that. But in general, if the total is 51 and I'm going under nine and a half, or in this case, over nine and a half, I'm not going under. It's just, it's a, it's a, I just want to put the middle finger up to all the, the, the lemmings. But I also think it's positive EV. But amongst my four props, that's my least favorite. And it's kind of a little, I want to kind of do a strut. You know, I, I bet it, but I bet it for the least. So full disclosure. Guess who shows up for no reason at all to get his grandstanding and hot dogging in? You, man. Yep, that's the plan. All right, let's do the best bet. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Fire up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. Okay, we're doing a split bet here, a little diversification. And it's the thesis is Pacheco. Is it Pacheco Pacheco? Pacheco. Pacheco or Pacheco over receiving. Now, we're going to split it up between yardage and number of receptions. Now, doing a little back of the napkin, I'm actually ideally would split it this way. You can decide how you want to split it if you can. Is The over-under is one and a half yard uh, receptions, and, but you got to lay 175 on the over or 185. Or you can go over two and a half and you get back plus 140. So I would say go a third on each of those. If I had to pick one of the two, I'd go over two and a half with the plus money. But let's say a third of our bet over one and a half Pacheco receptions. A third of the bet over two and a half. And that one's minus money, one's plus money. And then the last third on over 15 and a half yards. Now, just because I look at the math and it seems like the yardage is a little inflated, a little bit. But if I just could bet over 15 and a half, I'd bet the full unit on that. So... In fact, what we'll do is because there's a big lay price here and then a big take back, let's just assume for grading purposes, the full grade is coming on the over 15 and a half. But I actually like the idea of splitting that up. Just a little diversification. But I love this bet, my best bet of the Super Bowl. And here's why. And it's simple. Well, it's not simple. It kind of is. I'll let you decide. And this, again, came from... The Athletic Football Show, which I think does some really strong stuff on X's and O's. you got to listen close. There's a lot of fluff, or not even fluff, a lot of talk that I don't get a lot of value out of. But man, when they hit a diamond, they hit a diamond. And I give them credit. And they, they seem to be good guys. Um, the, one of the big concerns for prop betters this Super Bowl is the splits and carries and passing targets for the running backs on both sides. We don't know. You know, some guys are surging, getting more lately. Other guys had a better year, uh, usage-wise. Okay, but what I found to be really insightful was that the re- that they knew Pacheco or Pacheco. They knew that he is the more explosive back, and as he's gotten enough experience as a rookie and all that, they've been comfortable with him. But he just doesn't hold up with blitz pickups, and uh, McKinnon does more. And thus, there's been a split with those two. But here's the thing about Philly. Philly doesn't blitz hardly at all. They get pressure with their front, normal front. Sometimes they do the um, hybrid, what do they call it, hybrid pressures or synthetic pressures. Where, But, but in general, the idea of letting the back go in the back, out into a, a route is much higher chance against Philly that he won't be needed for pickup than pretty much any other team in the league. Thus, in general, you expect your running backs are going to get opportunities. Well, that's fine, but to me what's more important is if you got the more explosive back and the only question mark is how does he do against blitz pickups, except this is a concern less than any other opponent. Philadelphia causes that concern in Andy Reid's mind less than any other opponent. That means Pacheco's going to get a lot of play, a lot of usage. And my strong bet would be he's in there more plays relative to his past games uh, uh, versus him or, or versus uh, McKinnon or Clyde Edwards-Alaire because he's back. But I'm I hearing supposedly he's been weeks he's wanted to come back. They haven't even activated him. 
So he's the big name, the former number one draft, you know, first round draft choice. I don't think he's even. I think there's a chance he doesn't even get activated, and or he won't be on the you know active roster. Or if he is, he's an emergency back, a few plays. But in general, I think this market is depressed because of the split carries or, or split usage, which I think is less pertinent here because of the lack of need of blitz pickup, favoring Pacheco. And I think Edwards Alaire becoming, oh, he's back, is making people think, oh, God, it's going to be split even more. I don't think so. So best bet, as I said, over. We'll go 15 and a half yards as the grade. Mackenzie, how, how outstanding was that? One to ten. The accumulation of knowledge, number one in the business, RJ Bell. Ooh. Would you, what do you think of that prop, though? I, I'm betting it. I, I like it a lot. I think, um, I think you laid it out well. Why? It's just say amen, brother. Yeah, amen. I hear you, brother. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> you guys enjoy the game. We'll be back Monday evening with a recap of the Super Bowl. So it comes out Tuesday morning. Uh, recap of the Super Bowl, but also some look-aheads, you know, a little the teeny glance at the Super Bowl for next year. Do we see any teams we particularly want to look to bet? It won't be some comprehensive 32-team review, but what it's going to be for sure is it's going to be um, a look at, hmm, how do we want to say this? I think the, the couple of teams that were either inclined to go heavy on or heavy against early – because I don't feel comfortable with all 32 teams yet, but there's a handful I think the narrative isn't right on that they're going to be better or worse than thought. We'll talk about that too on the Tuesday morning release. So stay uh, subscribed, obviously. And if you're not subscribed, do it. And don't forget, starting this week on the Thursday pod, AJ, who's been having a great run in college basketball, is going to be giving us really, it's supposedly, I don't follow CBB as much as I used to, the most wide open year for a champ ever. And on Thursday, Wednesday taping, Thursday morning release, I'm going to force him because he's stubborn to give us three long shots. They like to say 20 to one or more. If we wanted to spread out a little future action on college basketball, national champion. So off season should be exciting. It should be really better than ever. Stay tuned. Enjoy the game. 